some of you will know immediately the example I'm using. Most will not. And that's okay because I was in the most will not category until Wednesday of this past week before stumbling upon it. It really is an obscure piece of Hayesville history. Here it is. There is this rock with two letters. Uppercase A and uppercase D are inscribed on it. It is so obscure that I spent half an hour looking for it and couldn't find it. You see, it is a small rock at the end of a small street that is further off of another street called Tesquitty. <laughs> the name of that street is, of all things, Slave Drive. Here, I know you. I want to name <laughs> Not very long in length, maybe one third of a mile. You get to a stop sign, and then you get to another sign that reads, no outlet. The street simply ends between two houses. Well, it really does not end because that supposedly is where the A and D rock is. Sadly, no one yet knows what A and D means. The rock, however, resides with other completely other unmarked rocks. They are not in a natural pattern, but obscurely arranged in an obscure cemetery. Again, some of you will know about this, while others do not. And I fell into that do not category until last Wednesday. And it was on Wednesday that I decided to simply follow Slave Drive and found out where it went. Now, if I didn't push down the brake pedal, I would have run over this dignified, polished marker which reads in all large letters, quote, in this area lie the remains of African American slaves whose identities and contributions are known but to God. In even larger letters at the bottom of this polished marker reads in bold face the words Freedom Cemetery. Now what we do know, in fact, is that the small area is a cemetery. Modern methods of earth penetrating equipment from Western Carolina University, along with conventional methods 
of cadaver dogs have verified that there are bones underneath the earth. And out of love with their lives, they buried their dead with dignity. Now, if you're thinking, oh, just great, another sermon about slavery. Whether you're thinking, oh, just great, another sermon about slavery, or just great, another sermon about slavery, and this is the part that you would tune me out because I don't walk up and down the aisle like <laughs> Pay attention, okay? <laughs> I, I hate to disappoint you, no matter what you think about me bringing up the subject of slavery in church. I bring it up to initiate the concept of the people unknown. The people unknown. And this is in direct contrast to what we hear in today's letter from St. Paul to the Thessalonians. Now, give yourself the luxury of just listening. Okay? I'm going to read one verse. Just listen. Give yourself that luxury. Quote, So deeply do we care about you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become so dear to us. <coughs> now, who is the we and why? Why in the world would the we named Sylvanus and Timothy, who heard about in last week's reading from Thessalonians, along with St. Paul, care about these Thessalonians? You know, these are tough questions. And this is where I would ask myself yesterday, and I'll confess to you very early this morning, George, why in the world are you preaching this instead of preaching about something that's popular. So don't kid yourselves. Many priests will preach what is popular in order to be popular. It's nothing new. It's like that metaphorical white little angel on this shoulder, metaphorical red little devil on this show, shoulder, whispering exact opposites into my ears. St. Paul must have felt it too. Listen carefully, because I'm just going to pull phrases, again from his letter to the Thessalonians. Phrases like, even so we speak not to please mortals, and we never came with words of flattery. 
and, nor did we seek praise from mortals. It would have been far more popular to preach what was popular. And why not? They had just come from Philippi, where St. Paul's words are, you've already suffered and been shamefully maltreated. You know, it makes such logical sense to tone things down a bit if you're interested in obtaining an A plus in adoration. It makes logical sense to flatter. But I want you to remember this. The gospel is not logical. Now this is where I want the amen. Gotcha. You remember that one. The gospel is not logical. Amen. I mean, really, when you bring the gospel, which translated over literally means good news, into the midst of bad news, you would think that that would get you some approval. But it didn't. Paul and Silvanus were thrown into jail. Timothy and other followers of Jesus were put to death for their faith. Even Jesus himself was crucified for throwing a lifesaver of this good news into the midst of a people who were drowning in bad news. And so it's so fascinating that into this situation, good news being brought into bad news that a lawyer tests Jesus with the question, what is the most important commandment? This is one of those places in the Bible I wish I could have been an eyewitness simply for the nonverbal. Okay. Did Jesus roll his eyes? Did he sigh? Did he shake his head at the whole situation and if there is such a thing, silently say, for God's sake, here they go again? I don't know. But this is what I do know, is that the response that Jesus gave to the question about what is the most important commandment is one, love God, and two, love neighbor. What I know is that Jesus chose love over any and everything else. And I believe 
then this is the reason why Paul, Timothy, and Sylvanus could write, so deeply do we care about you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become so dear to us. One, share the gospel of God. Or, one, love God. And, two, share with you our own selves. Or, two, love neighbor. can't, however, love God, and you can't love neighbor in this vacuum of theory or thing or definition. Love is always in a context, because love is what we are created to do. Now let me tell you the story of Victor. Victor was the first child of a young widow whose husband died in an awful accident one month before Victor was born. And the neighbors gathered around her, rallied to support her through this tragic time with gifts for her and for her infant. And when they had all left, there was this soft knock on the back door. It was another neighbor who was a bit different from all of the rest and in keeping with his personality said that he had come to offer her a gift that was different from all the rest. Totally taken off guard, she asked for some time to respond to his offer for this unusual gift. She responded a week later, quote, I wish everyone in the world would love my victor. Will love my victor. She had named her son after her deceased husband. Now from that point on, as an infant through elementary school and on into high school, Victor was absolutely adored, no matter what he did. Victor then received full scholarship to college. He spent his nights out partying and still managed to keep up his grades. And upon graduation, Victor did not even have to work. He always had money. He continued to partake in every pleasure. Friends catered to his every whim. Women threw themselves at him. Something sad transpired along the way. His heart grew cold and his soul began to despise those who adored him 
and his existence was so totally meaningless that he reached the point of wanting to commit suicide. Victor mixed the poison together in a wine glass, raised it to his lips, and the neighbor who had granted the wish that everyone would love him rushed through the door. He knocked the glass of wine out of his hand that had been mixed with poison and granted him one wish. Victor replied that there was nothing that the neighbor could give him that he did not already have. But he thought about it. And through his tears, Victor asked that instead of being loved, he could be given the gift to love. his wish. His friends abandoned him. Over time, he was left lonely and broke. Then his mother fell ill, and Victor nursed her back to health, returning some of the love that she had given to him for all of his life. Victor then took a job as a janitor in an elementary school. He not only took care of their floors, Victor also began to care for the children who were poor and came from broken homes. He then met a widow with two small children. And the widow and Victor married and Victor gave the three of them the love that those, they so desperately needed. Poor in possessions, Victor became one of the richest men in the world. He discovered <coughs> that in loving, <coughs> that he was who God had created him to be. What about you? What has God created you to be? How, like Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus, can you share your life and your love with others? See, you have that chance. People unknown, yet known to God, are buried over there at the end of Slave Drive. And a people unknown has given us an example. No recorded names, no marked graves other than the A and the D. And that's great. 
but is not the greatest. The greatest is to love God and to love neighbor. They did that with their lives. We have a chance to do that with ours. It begins with 